0: And we are live here on KZSU 90.1 FM. My name is Jacob Neidig, live with Zach Zafran from the studio on the Sports Zoo. And folks, what a treat do we have for you today? We are joined in studio with our first guest of the school year. Zach, why don't you go ahead and give us a brief introduction to our guest and kind of lay out what we have planned today.
1: Jabril, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. As Jacob mentioned, we are on this path of really progressing the sports zoo, and lucky to have you be the first guest to join us, hopefully the first of many. But for all of our many listeners out there across the country, listening live on kzsu.stanford.edu, or tuning in from around the Bay Area on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM, Jabril Taha, a junior here, at Stanford University, coming in with a lot of knowledge in specifically the basketball space, but plenty of good stuff on the football space as well. So with that being said, we definitely want to talk about men's basketball. Quite the story. We've talked about it previously here on the Zoo. Stanford football schedule also being announced previously. Can touch base on that. And on the topic of football, we are well in the NFL playoff schedule so lots to discuss here on the zoo happy to have you Jabril how's it going
2: doing all right thanks for having me guys excited to talk some Stanford and NFL sports yeah no absolutely so Jabril going
0: you know right into it first of all why don't you give us in those of our listeners out there some of your credentials and kind of when you begin following either basketball Stanford basketball or just What your kind of background with the team has been?
2: Yeah, I've been following Stanford sports uh, pretty much my whole childhood. Uh, which makes it kind of annoying that I'm here when both revenue sports are doing badly. They're yeah. elite. my whole childhood. You finally get here, and 3-9, and 3-9 and nine for football the last two years. Basketball is not making the tournament again this year, barring a miracle. Uh, but yeah, I've been watching since I was a kid. I'm one of the sports directors here at KZSU. Called a bunch of football games this year. Went on a bunch of really brutal and humiliating road trips from a football oh. perspective. Called a bunch of men's basketball. Called the women's Final Four last year up in Minneapolis. Uh, and then I started out actually writing for The Daily over COVID did a bunch of football coverage there, was their beat reporter last year, still write an occasional column or two for them. So, yeah, we've been covering Stanford sports pretty religiously since I've gone to campus. Yeah, no,
0: absolutely. And for those of you who aren't aware, Jabril is one of the eight-and-a-half sports fans on the farm these (laughs) days. So, you know, last episode, Zach and I kind of outlined, I guess that might have been two weeks ago, that Coach Haas essentially had four games where if he didn't put a much better product on the court they should pull the plug and we kind of outlined this game against Cal as really the deadline of of when a decision should be made potentially Zach now that you have seen some of these games the Washington road trip the Oregon homestand what do you say about these recent performances and where do you stand now
1: on where the rest of the season with Coach Haas could go. Well, right. Last time we talked about the next Cow game coming this Saturday being that deadline and really evaluating Haas and his team on these games in that in between. We for the first time this year have consecutive wins, and I'll tell you this is not how I expected it to turn out. That win against Oregon State just taking care of business, but you know, a twenty-one point victory. That's that's a team showing what they're capable of at the highest level. Doesn't matter who you're playing, but following it up against an Oregon Ducks squad that is pretty close off of a win against number eleven. Gabriel, uh, who was it against? They well, they beat Oregon and UCLA, or, or they beat maybe U- Arizona. Arizona, Arizona. That's who it was. Maybe Utah as well on the road. So some
2: impressive wins.
1: Exactly, this Stanford men's squad coming off. The worst stretch I've seen in a while, and then back to back wins against the Oregon school. I don't know what it is about Stanford coaches winning at the most (laughs) unlikely times, but Jared Hass does it again. It's something about these wins over Oregon. I believe we won four of the last five at home against those Ducks. So, you know, we expect to take care of business this week against Chicago State, but like I said, that big one will be against Cal. I thought that we had to win three of these games in the in between, including the Cal game. And if that doesn't happen, you know, someone's fate might be on the line in terms of their job.
0: Yeah, and I think the other thing that about these games, for those of you that didn't tune in, obviously Zach touched on the margin of victory against Oregon State, but we were actually ahead by double digits with just around two minutes left versus Oregon, and they cut it down and had a furious late rally that we withstood. But, you know, you now go in to a home game against Chicago State, and then you're going to play against Cal on a three-game win streak Backtracking a little bit though, Jabril, what were your expectations coming into the season? You've got the J- Jones transfer, you've got Spencer Jones coming back, Harrison Ingram coming back. If you can reevaluate your initial expectations, obviously we've probably performed well below them, but what were they at the beginning of the season?
2: Well, it was a bubble team. They were picked uh, fifth in the Pac-12 preseason poll. Someone even gave them a first-place vote, uh, which was laughable and looks even more hilarious (laughs) now that this has transpired. But I was expecting them to be a bubble team. I think top half of the NIT was my real minimum here for Jared Hass to save his job. NIT bit at the minimum, and in that case, he'd only save his job because of the two top 30 recruits coming into the season. So that's like the big factor when you're talking about whether or not has is going to be here for another year results wise it's an obvious no but if you think he's going to be able to do something with top 30 recruits next year then that's your only reason for letting him stay another year but yeah my expectations were this team needs to get it done it's been year, it's year seven of Jared Haas he's never had a top 100 offense according to Ken Palm uh, there are some major flaws bad fundamentals they've had bad uh, turnover ratios uh, throughout their his whole tenure here lots of like big uh, red flags here in terms of basic things that you expect from your basketball teams and the results just weren't showing so this was a team one of the most experienced teams coming back in the nation in terms of re- uh, returning production a lot of talent would harrison ingram take a jump with spencer jones continued to improve you had two first team all pac 12 players in spencer jones and harrison ingram uh, harrison ingram has disappointed big time this year so far hasn't developed under the coaching staff yet uh, so it's been a really really disappointing start and you talk about this upcoming stretch, maybe Stanford's turning things around. The issue is that was the easy part of their schedule. They completely blew. They blew the home games against the Mountain Schools. They blew Cal and Washington already. I mean, you have, have an easy week this week with Chicago State and Cal here at, at Maples. They still got to go to the Mountain Schools. They still got to go to the Arizona Schools, or they still got to host the Arizona Schools. Go to the LA Schools. Go to the Oregon Schools. I mean, they're already at 12 losses, four more, and that's a losing season. It's really not looking good, even if they can get something done this se- this weekend.
1: Yeah. And Jabril, failing to capitalize on those games that they should have been winnable, right? What I saw when I was watching, it seemed like like you mentioned those turnovers, as it always has been in Hass's offense, as well as offensive stagnation. Do you think that is a product of guard play specifically, more of the systems in place on offense or all across the board? It's
2: both because even when they had guys like Dejon Davis, Bryce Wills, and Tyrell Terry, it was that that offense was still stagnant that year with Tyrell Terry in 2020 or 2020, that COVID year. The offense was still 143 in the nation. Turnover rate, according to Ken Palm, this is adjusted for like team quality you're playing 298. I mean, you look at these numbers out of three hundred thirty three hundred sixty three 363 teams in Division One here has his 7 years of turnovers right now 181 304 310 298 284 349 and 266 that's near the bottom almost every single year at least in the bottom third there that's a really troubling sign that it hasn't changed
0: yeah no that's absolutely and for those of you just tuning in we are on the Sports Zoo KZSU 90.1 FM joined with our star studded guest Jabril here in the studio one of men's basketball's most loyal fans. Jabril painting a really grim picture, not just of the season, but of Coach Gerard Haas' entire career. Let's focus in on not just Haas, but you know some of the individual performances. We touched on a few players here and there, but one of the ones that I really want to focus on is that ball handling. You had Michael O'Connell coming in. You have Issa Silva, two guys that are relatively respected recruits. Michael O'Connell obviously getting a lot of playing time early in his career, yet that has been one of the biggest question marks still in the season. Who is the best ball handler? Why do we turn it over so much? What have you seen from those two guys and from some of the ball handling
2: Point guard has probably been the most disappointing position on this roster. I mean, you think either Michael O'Connell will be the steady hand we saw him as freshman year. Remember Michael O'Connell, we were always like, oh, lacrosse recruit, maybe not the high ceiling that some of these high recruit Jared Haas brings in have, but he's just sort of tapered off. He used to be that steady hand, didn't make mistakes, didn't give you a ton of production, but was just there to anchor the offense and not really hurt the team in any way and now he started to turn the ball over more uh shooting has declined he shot 33% from 3 freshman year last year 29% this year 16.7% uh, so wow. shooting declined to uh, Issa Silva has not developed yet. He's only a sophomore, but you, we all expected a bigger jump from him to have really two solid uh, point guards this season. So, yeah, when your point guard's not doing not doing much for you, it's really, really well. If we saw Benny Geeler, the preferred walk-on, start a couple games, and while good for him to be able to develop, that's really a bad sign when you're having a walk-on starting at your point guard position when you expected to have two guys in front of him on the depth chart.
0: Yeah, and Zach, what, what have you seen, you know, in terms of, their not just lack of jump, but really their uh, move backwards, their regression, can you pinpoint something in either of their play that you think could contribute to that, or really just any explanation as to why two guys seemingly poised to take the next step just did the complete opposite?
1: Yeah, to me it is just the systems in play that aren't really playing to this team's strengths. We think about Last teams, last year's team versus this year's team. You really only lost Jaden Dallaire, who on the tail end of last year's campaign, you know, wasn't a huge contributor, lost his starting position. This year you get Harrison Ingram back. You get Spencer Jones back. You continue the development. As we mentioned, Michael O'Connell, Issa Silva, a better backcourt. Michael Jones coming in from Davidson, bringing that leadership and veteran experience. This is a team looking to make huge strides, but the systems in place don't allow them to offensively, not feeding the ball through Ingram, you know, allowing him to facilitate, do what he does best, not really evolving with the times. Instead, it's the same system that has failed in the past, continues to fail today. Yeah, no, couldn't
0: have said it better myself. And so now to kind of jump to the most obvious letdown, which has to be Harrison Ingram, you know, go to my mind is now one of those picks that you just makes you question whether these high school evaluators know anything about what they're doing talk a little bit about what Harrison Ingram came in expecting to do this season Jabril and where he's actually been at
2: yeah well he expected to play himself up into the draft and getting stanford back on the national stage they you saw spencer and harrison always throughout interviews talking about they want to get back they want to get the stanford program to the tournament and harrison came back because he was probably going to be a Maybe early second round pick, somewhere in the late first round to late second round, depending on who you were asking. And now he's really kind of played himself out of the draft here, especially from a shooting perspective. Uh, just been really inconsistent. He was he was fantastic throughout the first half of last season, then really tapered off, and then had a really nice last game in the Pac-12 tournament. And maybe found like, okay, he's got his mojo back. And this year he just hasn't been nearly as effective a player as we all hoped he would be. He got benched at times in some games. I think at Washington State. Uh, it's been really rough for him, and there are, again, there are flashes you see where it's like that's the Harris Harrison Ingram we saw. He's a fantastic distributor of the ball. When he's doing that, he's doing a really nice job. But other than that, uh, it's been a very very disappointing year for him.
1: when I think of Ingram's appeal, especially you know at the next level, these guys are looking at a guy who has that high IQ and the physical profile. Something certainly. You know, isn't super translatable to the college game. We've seen this trend as of late. Maybe the guys producing at the college level aren't being drafted super high. Players drafted on their potential, nonetheless, Ingram slipping on the boards. Do you think it will require greater production at this level for him to really, you know, come back onto those draft boards, get back on scouts' radar, or is it just out of the question at this point?
2: Oh no, he can definitely improve. Back he has the talent. I mean, I, I somewhat trust the scouting recruiters, and we saw it throughout. The- he was going to be a draft pick if he declared this season he can get back to that point uh just the shooting has to improve dramatically and he's got to start winning some games with his cardinal team and taking over these college teams especially against the cows and the washington's in the bottom of the conference harrison ingram needs to start taking over these games
1: something that i feel like i've seen is you know he doesn't have that urgency that a lot of star players do i see talent in him for sure but by the time he takes over the cardinal are already down 20 um what needs to happen for him to allow this team to win? Do you think that he has the talent to, and he's not stepping up? Do you think that it's perhaps just his efficiencies that are really off at this point?
2: Uh, for sure, I think it's also a system issue. When you have a lot of you have a lot of talent on this roster, if you ask the recruiting rankings, who aren't up to speed right now, so I think the, a good amount of it could be a system issue. Um, Harrison's obviously very talented. The shooting could use some work, and that has nothing to do with the system. Uh, but I think it's a combination of things right now and not just not a good situation overall.
0: Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. Um, Harrison Ingram currently averaging nine points per game. He's also leading the team in turnovers. Definitely not someone that, you, you know, has performed in many ways, although does have some bright spots. He has the most assists on the team. Yep. He also is by far the player that, you know, we should be looking to. So kind of hope that he turns it around another player that you know is leading the team in many statistical categories most points per game um, and and many other things near the top in minutes games started etc Spencer Jones who was a real splash in many ways throughout his previous few years and kind of came in with a lot of preseason accolades what have you seen from him this year starting with Uzak, and then we'll jump over to you Jabril
1: well I think he continued to be the player that this team needed him to we, we expected jumps from Ingram, we thought Michael Jones would come in, especially with that early season performance against Pacific in the season opener, but Jones has been the steady hand, he's been the guy to knock down threes consistently albeit a, a rough start to the season um, but that senior leadership is something this team so desperately needs, especially as it hopes to seemingly turn things around as things have been uh, as of late, um, but you know, unfortunately, he's he's not a guy I feel like that you just hand the ball off to and, and let let him go to work. Um, but with the tools that he has and the situation he's been given, I mean, he's been phenomenal in his role.
2: Yeah, yeah only good things to say about Spencer. He, he hasn't scored double digits in three games this season. They won two of those games, and one of, two of them were eight-point performances. Uh, he's been really good recently. That's a he's on a streak right now with seven straight double-digit games, and he's someone who really you can just at at times he'll do what Zach said and take the ball over. But it's not a not at a consistent level where he has to be your go-to guy. There are so many other playmakers on this team or pre- supposed playmakers on this team that we thought would be the guy, like Michael Jones open for a three, Harrison Ingram open for a three that just hasn't gone gone down. Uh, But Spencer Jones has definitely done his part on this team and should very well be an all-team, first-team, all-Pac-12 player as he was projected to be.
0: Yeah, and that streak really has been a bright spot lately. But in terms of where you see the ball being distributed, where is that sweet spot for Spencer Jones in terms of, um, you know, number of threes he's shooting per game, number of overall field goals, and his ability to both create space And then distribute how many shots should he be taking because you look in a lot of these games he's in double digit shots and obviously he's in double digit points as well but is that a result of the system is that the lack of other people stepping up how can you kind of uh, attribute some of these higher uh, shooting numbers from him in terms of just pure attempts
2: I think it's a lot of with other people not stepping up I mean I Jared has stressed throughout the preseason and early on the season that we're a good shooting team things aren't just falling. Frankly, look at this roster. They should be a very good shooting team. you got Michael Jones, who shot over 40% from three at Davidson last year. Spencer Jones, of course, a very good three-point shooter. Harrison Ingram, they create a lot of wide-open looks for Harrison Ingram from deep, and they just don't fall. Um, Then you got Issa Silva, who's supposed to be a very good shooter. A lot of weapons. Agrawal coming off the bench, who's been very, very good for his freshman year. Uh, Yeah, I think you have to go to Spencer when no one, nothing else is falling because Spencer is someone who is able to step out of a funk. And we've seen many, many times Spencer being a funk early in a game. And then right when one shot falls, Spencer just starts to take over. Yeah.
1: When you're the team's leading score, I mean, that usage rate should be higher than the other guys, but I mean, has the systems don't necessarily give way for someone to be the star player. You don't play through someone. It just, someone steps up, shows that aggression. I mean, I, put up 11 field goal attempts in the last three games right on par with his average i think that's where he should be um letting him operate out the low and mid post and you know when teams dig or double it finds the open guy as jabril said maybe guys don't really uh you know knock him down even though they're open uh but jones coming off pin downs seen a lot of action where i think it's reyneau and keith will screen the screener get uh Jones an open look and he's been capitalizing fortunately for this Cardinal team in desperate need of someone to step up right and you know that system is one of the most interesting
0: layers to this whole mess that is this basketball season Coach Haas is a well respected coach throughout the basketball world coaching the USA team for some of those young guys which is why many people attribute the success recruiting we've had The balance between success and recruiting is one that many fans have been forced to directly confront this year. Jabril, we have two top 30 recruits coming that have now signed their letters. They should be enrolling next fall. Where do you stand on the balance between keeping Coach Haas and letting these high-talented recruits play for the coach they signed with versus he's not the man for the job, it doesn't matter, and if we lose him, then... It is what it is.
2: Well, Haas is very well-respected, very well-liked. Uh, by all accounts, he's a great guy. Uh, and people, there was a report the other day, I think one of the websites had an article about, they always hear how like they wish Hass was winning more because he's such a good dude, and so good with the kids and everything, or so good with the student-athletes and stuff. Uh, I think... At some point, the recruiting has to turn into results, and it doesn't matter. Like, the whole point people weigh recruiting heavily is because, okay, that means you're going to get results. Right now, we've had multiple stars come through, and nothing happened. Uh, So, do you trust him to develop these top 30 recruits into a tournament team next year? Because next year would really have to be the year, especially if some of these, uh, if Kanan or Stojakovic are planning to be a one-and-done player uh, so I think it's a lot of things. I think another thing is the COVID year that got screwed up with uh, Zaire Williams, Bryce Wills, Dejon Davis, Oscar Da Silva. We don't know how good that team was going to be, but it would have been at least an NIT bid. So that might have, in the hypothetical, that got messed up. And also we don't know the exact details of how messed up that season got because of that type of stuff. So there's a lot of different factors here, but we're not, but to not make the NIT with the roster he has right now as the five, projected five team in the Pac-12 projected on the bubble. And if they finish somewhere like out in the bottom third of the conference, which they very likely are based on their schedule, they're projected at six and 14 right now on Ken Palm. Uh, it's really, really tough. And right now, and as I said, there's almost certain they're going to have a losing record at this point. What is enough for him to save his job because of those two recruits coming in and i think he's going to need to pull some big big time upsets to get that to save his job right now
1: if you had to put your finger on why it is that these top recruits don't pan out is it player development is it the inability to cater to their strengths what do you think that is
2: yeah right now it's player development Uh, i also think there's uh, i've heard theories of like stanford the people who recruit stanford are sort of a different type of athletes and maybe don't care as much about the basketball aspect than other people think. That's just another theory out there. I'm not sure how much I buy that. Uh, But yeah, the people who choose Stanford are a different type of athlete, are different types of people, and that's a great thing. And Stanford's always had, in every other sport, they succeed, though, which makes me think that theory is false, because every other sport, you get the same type of very academically focused athlete, but we're at the top 10. So I don't think it's really a player selection problem. I think it's really more development when they get here. And also that, uh, that point about the people who choose Stanford are different makes you think that, hey, could the new staff hold on to one of these two recruits? And if so, if they could hold on to one of them, it's probably worth it.
1: Well, along those lines, a theme Jacob and I have talked so much about in weeks past, do Stanford athletes commit to Stanford or do they commit to the coach? I think in most scenarios across the country at other programs, players connect with that coaching staff. They connect with the head coach. They commit to the coach. We've seen different instances of a head coach leaving. These players go ahead, decommit, and go along with wherever their coach goes. But in our case here at Stanford, right, a lot of the appeal comes from the Stanford brand itself, especially in this spectacle of basketball. Do you think these recruits are committing to Coach Jared Haas and his program? or Stanford itself?
2: I think it's a mixture of both. The way uh, Haas hasn't made the tournament once since he's been here, so clearly he really has a way with the recruits and is a great guy. You know the whole story about him sending a letter to Zaire every day and stuff. Uh, so I think it's a mixture of both. Uh, but I don't know. My guess is that a new staff would be able to hold on to one of those top 30 recruits. And, yeah, again, it's a huge part of the athlete is committing to Stanford and the school itself. and I think I think there's a pretty good I think there's a pretty good chance one of them would stay on,
0: yeah. And I think another part besides player development is just the ability to motivate some of these players. It seems to me that the basketball team is one of the least motivated men's sports team that we have. There's very little effort. The guys don't have the fire that you would really like to see. And at times, you know, it it even looked as if just he had completely lost the locker room in terms of effort. Whenever some of those games were turning from, you know, eight point deficits to 20, the body language, the effort, the hustle are just not there with this team.
1: Yeah, I think we see that a lot kind of early on in these games and I think that first half of this basketball season a big reason they were losing is they dig themselves in the hole early on come out not prepared and then we saw a second half Stanford team that was not all that bad but they just dug so deep in that first half facing a huge deficit because of that lack of fight because that lack of fire Um, now that's not to say I don't know how much of that is has I think a lot of it is this is not you know the type of Offense where you're running and gunning. It's not the type of thing where you're, you know, trying to be too urgent. Um But I, I do agree in that we've seen lack of motivation at times throughout the year and in years past.
2: Sure i i tend I think I think the team is more motivated than you both think. I think has is actually I think that's one of his more strengths in his coaching ability they get down and they really never they never give up almost. They always cut it to six. The issue is once it's a close game <laughs> they lose playing yeah. again. I think the joke was uh, throughout the whole first half of the season is that Stanford only plays competent basketball in games that are out of hand uh, and I think the Oregon win was really, I thought that was an impressive win I thought Stanford played decently but also Oregon had just an awful game overall if you watch that game back uh, but to win that game when everything's sort of falling apart I think it was a good sign. That's their first quality win of the year. I think there's going to be a little more juice, a little more motivation. The question is, during that six-game stretch where you go to the Mountain Schools, then host the Arizona Schools, then go to the L.A. Schools, that could really wear on this team, and especially as it becomes obvious that, okay, it's just about the Pac-12 tournament now. I wonder how the motivation goes. You have other stuff. You have school concern. Uh, There's a lot of different other factors here. Being a Stanford student, that could lead to one, basketball not being the primary concern at some time.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Speaking of that Oregon win, how much should we look into it? Because, you know, the Oregon State win, Oregon State also at the bottom of the Pac-12, really the only bright spot on that team is freshman Jordan Pope, but this Oregon win, like you said, it was really Oregon shooting themselves in the foot, uh, not showing up as the same team that they have been. That being said, a very inconsistent team. We've seen two versions of Oregon throughout the year, and we got the worst one, Um, but Is this a signal for better things to come Or not
2: The play might be better But I don't think it'll result in wins Just because of Mm -hmm. their schedule If Stanford had played this type of consistent We're not making mistakes basketball They'd be in a lot better place right now I think it's It might be a case of too little too late I mean this is their first win Inside the Ken Palm 140 And we're (laughs) two thirds of the way into the season
0: Wow yeah Yeah no that's absolutely crazy I uh i am still not a believer uh, I, I think like yeah two wins but even against Oregon and Oregon State I just I have a tough time thinking that this team is going to be able to string together yep. any sort of winning streak that could could save Haas' job um, but kind of directly confronting that issue Jabril what would it take for you to maybe not feel confident that that Haas could keep his job, but would give him a chance to return next year to give Stoyakovich and Carlisle, Kane and Carlisle a shot. What needs to happen in these remaining games for you to, to give him that extra opportunity next season?
2: They need to win both this weekend against Chicago State and Cal. And then they don't have, they, of course they don't have to win every game in this tough six-game six stretch, but they have to show some fight and show and get some wins. They have to win a game at the Mountain Schools. They need to beat Arizona State at home. You probably need to, like beat USC on the road and not get just don't get embarrassed by any of these teams. Show that you can hang with some of the big boys with the talent that you have and that you were expected to play decent games against. Uh, then you got to sweep the Washington Schools at home. Definitely beat Oregon State on the road. I don't know. Maybe beat Oregon on the road. And I think. You're not going to get a first-round buy at all at this point. You need to win, like, two games in Vegas. Especially at the very end of the season is going to be important. Uh, I don't even want to go through the stats on Hass's record throughout the last five, four, and three games of the regular season. It's really ugly. Uh, so they need to make something happen in Vegas. I think at least get to the semifinal if he wants to save his job, and that's going to have to be parlayed with other wins early on or earlier on in the schedule.
1: Now, Jabril, like you said, this team is almost certainly going to fall below 500 unless they get that uh, automatic bid through the tournament ncaa is out of the question but to get an ni uh, nit bid you know like you said you 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 see them getting to the semis would that be enough to warrant a bid to the nit tournament
2: not if they're under 500 there are too many good teams in the pac-12 you look at some of these overall projected records here on ken palm i mean ucla Utah, arizona are going to go to the are going to go to the NCAA tournament. Utah might as well. Arizona State could. USC could. Oregon right now projected 11-9 and 9 in conference play. Colorado, Washington State are both at 9-11 in conference play. Stanford right now projected 6-14. and 14. So they need to get to at least like that 9-11 mark, 10-10 mark, even hang with some of the teams higher up in the Pac-12. Otherwise, there are probably going to be 7 or 8 more teams ahead of them in the Pac-12 who are more deserving of going to the postseason. And Yeah, Stanford right now sitting outside the top 100 of the net rankings, number 100 exactly in Ken Palm. That's not an NIT resume for you right now.
0: And so as you kind of look forward, let's say those pieces don't fall into place, who's number one on your list to replace Hosterbro?
2: It's got to be Mark Madsen from Utah Valley, uh, the former Stanford man, part of their really good years. Let me pull up some of the stats here because it's really incredible the turnaround he's led there at utah valley i mean first year 2020 covid year can't read too much into that but they were number 253 according to ken palm 2021 199 2022 119 2023 they're number 82 in ken palm this is utah valley uh we're talking mark pope was the previous coach at utah valley he's at byu right now utah valley play, playing in the whack the western athletic conference 82 is better than stanford right now in <laughs> ken palm mark madison is definitely number one on my short list
1: yeah zach um whether you knew about
0: Madsen or not, what do you think about
1: that? I love Madsen. You you want to get someone who really resonates with this Stanford program, especially in a, a moment of transition. Madsen, part of that... Uh, final four group from the 90s and early 2000s in fact that group's gonna be honored this weekend versus cal in that rivalry matchup but Madsen, a guy that obviously knows his basketball will provide a, a the tenacity of a being a former player something that this program could desperately use
0: yeah no absolutely you know personally i also do think that going from utah valley to stanford is a huge jump it is you do love, though, that he was here in college, so he understands the dynamics of what it means to be at Stanford, the academics, along with the the sporting component of that. So, kind of shifting to the more successful team here on the farm and playing at Maple Pavilion, the women's team coming in at a very, very successful record and coming off a season that... He's really been poised for a rematch against South Carolina, hopefully late in the tournament. Why don't we go ahead and recap what we've seen throughout these last few games and really overall the season. Go ahead and take that, Zach. Well,
1: why don't we start with what's happened since our last time we talked about them. They've played four games since the first coming against UCLA down at in Los Angeles, that highly touted matchup, number eight UCLA, a top ten matchup, and they, they took care of business in the fourth quarter. Um, they was coming off a string of games in which their offense was, you know, not that explosive. One might dare to say stagnant, but this defense of this team has consistently been incredible. And when I think of the defense, I can't help but obviously think about Cameron Brink, the reigning Pac twelve Defensive Player of the Year. How about six blocks? in the fourth quarter that I I thought I misread that uh when I first saw that Cameron Brink has been unbelievable so they go on I believe a 15 over run to start the fourth quarter handle a uh, Bruins team that is very respectable in the Pac 12 but then they go ahead continue on on that L.A. road trip on Sunday and lose to USC, an unranked program that I don't think a lot of teams saw coming. And it all started with a four-point first quarter. Um, And, Jabril, I know you and I off the show have have discussed those offensive struggles. I think that they came to light in that outing. Um, A product for me personally something at the point guard position. Talana Lapolo, unbelievable for a freshman, but this is a team with national championship aspirations, um, and it's a lot to, you know, it's a big burden to bear a freshman with in her first year. Someone who wasn't even expected to start and then just had a killer start to the year. But since then, you know, they've shown they're not going anywhere at 10 10- 12-point win over number 8 Utah at home. Something, again, where a little bit closer than you'd like, but took care of business. And then on Sunday, another ranked win over Colorado. That that one was them doing what they do best.
2: Yeah, I think Stanford got almost exposed and got their weaknesses exposed. It started uh, with the first quarter against Arizona, where Arizona really shut them down. It took Stanford a while to get going in that one. They ended up winning comfortably. But then Sharman Smith of Cal, their coach, really perfected the game plan. And that's, we're going to pack the paint and put our best defensive guard on Hannah Jump. And they're just going to blanket Hannah Jump forever and ever and ever until they beat you with other shooters. So we're going to get in the paint, make sure Brink can't really do too much. She will get her points, but make sure she doesn't take over. Prevent Haley from driving and say, hey, if you're going to beat us, someone else has to make shots. And we knew that was the weakness of the Stanford team, is who else is going to step up besides Jump, uh, Hannah jo- uh, Haley Jones and Cameron break, and it worked. Hannah jumped 7 points against Cal, 8 against UCLA 1 against USC but the Stanford Cardinal coaching staff of course Tara adjusted, found a way to get Hannah jump open, 13 points against Utah, I think 12 of those were in the first quarter mm-hmm. and 21 against Colorado uh, so it's almost like Stanford needed that loss you felt that loss mm-hmm. was coming and they pick it up with two double digit wins against two top 25 teams, Colorado's still in the top 25 after losing to us Uh, So I think they figured it out, but we knew it was going to be how is Stanford going to deal with speedy guards this year? How who is going to step up from a shooting perspective? Because they have the best front court in the nation. Uh, I'm trying to work on it mentally, not to keep reminding myself that Kiki Rice committed to UCLA over Stanford, because if, if she was here, I really think Stanford would be the national title favorite right now.
1: So, yeah, no, absolutely. Go ahead, Zach. It's talking about you know making other shooters step up. Though, what are these other shooters? Because Hannah Jump, you know, a premier perimeter threat. But beyond that, I know Ashton Prechtel, Elena Bazgana, sometimes Brooke Demeter, uh, Brooke Dimitri, Despite some struggles as of late, who else is a perimeter threat? Because this is a team that I think lacks three point shooting outside of uh, Hannah
2: Jump. Yeah, you list them off: uh, Emma uh, Agnes, Emma Nopu. Uh, is your defensive player out there and she's hit a few clutch shots at time but she's not the consistent three-point threat uh i think i'd like ashton prectal to get some more uses i thought she was fantastic against alia boston she can shoot the three ball as we've seen at times the issue is maybe she doesn't shoot as much coaching staff doesn't want her to shoot as much she's six five also but i think Prechtel could play a big part uh at the end of the season but you said you listed off the names someone has to step up consistently stanford has a ton of depth it's just not consistent depth
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and those top three really have carried the team Brink, Jones, and Jump, making up right at 50% of the team's average scoring. Together, they average 40 points a game. The Cardinal are averaging 79 points as a whole. You know, with Brink and Jones, that was really to be expected. Hannah Jump has been someone that's completely elevated her into uh, a sizable threat. She went from you know, a D and three player into someone that can play at any times. Who are you specifically looking at down the stretch other than just in the three ball? to kind of make that jump either in the final half of the year or even in the off season,
2: It's Brooke Dimitri. They need a guard to step up. And she's she was someone who was expected to step up to start the season. I think there's still a chance she can. She's a sophomore now, and she was really someone who everyone expected to have a bigger role And If she can step up and add a consistent three-point threat, we know she's a shooter, that's what she's known for, uh, then this team can really, really turn the page and compete at the, at the very, very
1: top, at, even more effectively than they already do. Speaking of people that made a huge jump, Kiki Irioff, and I mean, she has really made leaps, especially from her freshman campaign, but that has been perhaps at the expense of uh, Fran Belibi, who hasn't really seen the court much. You know, I'd be curious as to hearing your thoughts on why you think that is.
2: I think Erie Offen has been very good, but has struggled mightily against the best teams. You saw uh, when everything was going wrong against U- against UConn in the Final Four last year, Tar put her in for a minute, and it was it was ugly. I mean, it was, uh, I think, a missed layup. Five points, basically, on both ends were uh, on Kiki right there, and she took her out immediately. Again, against Aaliyah Boston this year. Aaliyah Boston dominated there in the paint, and, and Prechtel came in and was the one who really stopped the bleeding. So Kiki Erie has done some great things. She just still has more room to grow. Uh, I'm also kind of disappointed we're not seeing as much Lauren Betts as I thought. I thought she'd be more ready right now. She's fantastic on the defensive end of the floor, but the offensive consistency is not there. Same thing with Kiki. Some of the layups just bunnies aren't going in. Uh, Fran Belibi, since her sort of since her freshman year, has always sort of or sophomore year has been relegated to more of a backup role once really Brink emerged. Uh, and right now, Stanford needs to find some guards. They have they have the depth pieces, and I think those. Kiki, Fran, uh, Lauren Betts, Cam Brink, someone's going to be on at any day. You have that there. The question is, the guards, there are days where no one's on, and that is what will lead to a loss.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And the thing is, with Belibi, who came in as a top 20 player in the country, she's getting beat out by other top 20 players in the country, and that's kind of one of the struggles of coming to Stanford at such a highly touted program, is you've got to bring it every year, and you see Belibi, who is A really consistent contributor right around that eight point mark giving a 15 to 20 minutes has had her minutes cut earlier in the year they had obviously what was probably the best game in women's college basketball definitely the most highly publicized against south carolina that went to overtime they've had a lot of tests in other ways they played against number 23 gonzaga against ucla and utah who Happen to both be ranked number eight. Where do you think this team comes in at one in terms of its ability to be tested, in terms of its skill and poise handling when things don't necessarily go exactly how they planned?
2: They're going to be tested almost as much as anyone in the country. The Pac-12 is ridiculously good this year. I forgot if it was seven or somewhere in the around eight teams were in the, this morning's Bracketology on ESPN from the Pac-12. They have so many more tests coming up. They still got to host UCLA. They got to go to Arizona. They got to go to the Mountain Schools, too, to finish off the regular season. And then they have the Pac-12 tournament. They're going to be more ready than anyone. Uh, they played, As you said, they played South Carolina. They had them beat. They were up 10. They made me- multiple mental errors at the end of that game. Uh, the offense just disappeared. They should have won that game. Uh, They're going to be tested more than anyone, and they just got to make sure. And I think that lost USC also sort of, in my mind also, I was very much, okay, we're on a collision course here. Let's just get through this. Mm. Now it's like, wait a second. We have some real issues. we got to work this out because if we play like we're playing right now, South Carolina is beating us comfortably on a neutral court. Uh, But for me, Stanford's going to be more tested than anyone. The issue is they might drop some games. So hopefully they do enough and impress enough with their amazing resume based on all their wins to get that two or three overall seed, because you really don't want to be facing the Gamecocks until the final.
1: Call me crazy, but I think losing a game or two again would actually help their title aspirations. Let me tell you why. This is a team that has not really faced adversity all year. The only times I can really remember them trailing were... In overtime against South Carolina, they led for all but one minute in that contest except for early on, Um, and then against USC was the first time they've played down all year, and dating back to last year, it's really the first time they've played down other than the UConn game. This is a team that I don't know knows how to handle uncomfortable situations scoreboard wise, and certainly they're getting teams best each and every night. But once they go ahead and get down, do they know how to respond to that? Do they know how to battle from down? Uh, That's something that remains to be seen. And I think having moments like that in the remainder of the regular season could go a ways uh, when the postseason comes and they're playing those Big Ten teams that have really shown an offensive prowess. Yeah, no, absolutely. And,
0: you know, that is both a good and bad thing. Whenever you're blowing teams out, you know you're you're losing that sense of being battle tested, and very few players on this team have actually done that. You look at the minutes from last year's Kentucky game. We lost really important contributors: the whole sisters and Anna Wilson. Three of the six players that were over double digits, but some of these other players, you know, Belibi, eight minutes, Ashton Prechtel eight minutes, Kiki Irifafen one minute. This roster had some holes to fill. And you had some of the most important players this year just were not the people that were being relied upon last year. And so you definitely want them to go through some adversity, to feel the opposing crowds, to struggle a little bit and feel the chaos that comes whenever you're in these crunch time moments. Now, kind of on that similar note, the defensive end is one that has historically been Very, very good. Coach Tara, one of the coaches that makes sure that Stanford is not just an offensive juggernaut, but a team that can get it done defensively. That comes with Cameron Brink obviously leading the way in the center. She's got 72 blocks and 13 steals. You've got Haley Jones running at, I don't even know how tall she is, but she's super agile. On the defensive end, you know, they've played very well, but they again have not faced some of the complete teams other than UCLA and some of those schools what are you looking for on the defensive end for the rest of the year to either continue or to really uh emphasize on
2: i'm looking for a continuation against with solid defense against speedy guards i mentioned this earlier but that was the main question of like If you face Texas, who has disappointed this year, but a Texas with like a Rory Harmon, if they get you again in the tournament, are you going to be able to stop her? Now that you lost the whole sisters Anna Wilson, as you said, I think they. I was really impressed with that UCLA game. Uh, I think obviously UCLA employed the same defensive strategy, and Stanford's offense struggled for three quarters of that, Uh, but they they'd handled Kiki Rice and their players pretty well. So honestly, I think it's less of a it's much less of a concern than I had going into the season. Now they need to keep up the good work, and again. Stop of Boston when you face Aliyah again.
0: Yeah, Zach, anything from you there on either the defensive end or anything else that you're looking
1: for? Uh, yeah, when I think about these defensive powerhouses across the country, there's just different types of great defensive teams. Thinking about Texas, a team that applies the pressure, really, you know, constant ball pressure, making teams uncomfortable. When I think about Stanford, they don't really have that. They only force. 12 turnovers a game, which pales in comparison to Stanford's 13 and a half turnovers they commit. It's that interior presence that is so scary. Over six and a half blocks per game, opponents are shooting 33% from the field. That interior defense goes a long way, but if we can see them evolve and really get that done on the perimeter, you know, uh, Agnes Eminopu has done a phenomenal job, but if other people can step up. Up, this is going to be a fully rounded defensive team and, and one that is a championship caliber.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. We've got about 15 minutes left here on the sports zoo. My name is Jacob Neidig. We are live here with Zach Safran and Jabril Taha. We're going to go ahead and pivot once again away from the hardwood. Again, just want to point out some of the discrepancies. I feel like we all hold each team to such a similar standard of play on the court, yet on the one hand, we're talking about winning a national championship, and on the other, we're talking about trying to get to 500. So, absolute hats off to the women's team every year, really, for getting it done. But let's go ahead and pivot. Zach, why don't you lead us into our final 15 minutes
1: here on the Sports Zoo, KZSU 90.1 FM. Well, last week, big news with Stanford's 2023 football schedule finally being released. And Jabril Taha, you had a phenomenal column in the Stanford Daily. I, I heard you have a- an amazing sports editor, but nonetheless, that column breaking down this schedule, why don't we get your initial thoughts on on what you first thought when you saw it come out? Yeah, I do
2: have a great sports editor. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. Um, my initial thought was, oh, good. Thank goodness we don't have a week three bye again. <laughs> that was ridiculous <laughs> last year. I mean, obviously, that's not at all the reason why our schedule went down or why our season went incredibly downhill, uh, but it did contribute to attrition and probably made some injuries worse. You don't get that off day to heal people over a week. Uh, so, yeah, no 10 straight games this year. Uh, the other thing that stood out to me, I wrote about this in my column, it's a nice start. It's at Hawaii, you can win that game. Hawaii was one of the worst teams in FBS last year. At USC, you don't got a shot, probably. Don't get hurt. Either. Yeah, no, that,
0: that's a funny way. Uh, it's a nice start. Yeah, you got no shot in game yeah. two.
2: <laughs> In-state California rival, the USC fans, a reigning Heisman Trophy winner, however many transfers they bring in on both sides of the ball, trying to shore up what was a bad defense last year. Yeah. Don't even worry about that one. Uh, Then you host Troy Taylor's former team, Sacramento State, here on the farm week three. And then you host Arizona the next week with students back. So I wrote this in my column, but maybe the game I'm most excited for, not USC. and I saw the Monday poll on Stanford (laughs) Daily. I selected other. My (laughs) game I'm most excited for is versus Arizona week four. You got at Hawaii win, home against Sacramento State win. You're two and one. It's your first winnable conference game against a team that's going to be like maybe slightly below average. It's a winnable game. That game will tell us so much about Stanford this year. They should beat Hawaii, and Sacramento State, as I said, they're going to kill by USC. Where is Stanford? Home against Arizona, first game with students back, a winning record hopefully for the first time in a long time, it feels like. That game should be really really fun.
1: Stanford football three and one in the decade of oh, 2020, yeah. is that even
0: uh, <laughs> I'm used to the 3 in front but normally followed by a 9. <laughs> yeah, Zach, are you do you share that sentiment that that's the first real test or meaningful game or where do you stand on when we can evaluate
1: the product on the field? I think we got to it's it's tough. It's tough because I fully agree Hawaii, get the job done, USC They'll get the job done. Uh, I like the narrative here with Sacramento State. Obviously, Troy Taylor, it's going to be his yeah. first year, and I love that matchup. Unfortunately, fans will be missing that. Arizona, I just think that we should win it. It's a program that has struggled so mightily, maybe on the uptrend as of late, and interesting that we get them thrown our way this year. That's that's a, a new um, thing. I'm looking at Oregon because that is a program that... You don't know what you're going to get. It's just like basketball, and you know we've had our moments of success. We've also definitely had our moments of failure against them. Um, that's an interesting one. I don't have expectations for it. What I really am waiting for is when we go to the mountains and face what I'm picking up as Jacob's new favorite Power <laughs> 5 head coach. Do you want to take that one away? Oh, yeah. Hashtag Coach Prime Prime. <laughs> <laughs> that one is going to be so interesting because Boulder, terrible. In years past, but we don't know what we're getting in this upcoming year with all of the transfers and a brand new look program A clash of two new head coaches be interesting to see what we get in that one Yeah, you
0: uh, actually stole my answer there Zach (laughs) because Colorado is also the game that I have circled I think that you know that game against Arizona definitely Is going to be a really good metric, but you know I I want to give the team a little bit longer to to settle into this New system to have, you know, two away games and then have three home games. They should be settled in. And, yeah, Colorado, one of the teams that people are both most excited about and also just most confused about, I think those first five games, in my mind, represent really um, the ability to judge based off of effort, to look at scheme. But that game against Colorado, that game against UCLA – those two games in the middle of the schedule are where I think we actually evaluate how this team could do in terms of either bowl eligibility or just even building on for next year.
2: Yeah, primetime game also. Yeah. Friday night in Boulder. Uh, the the issue here, if you look at the schedule, it's brutal with quarterback play. I mean, the quarterbacks across the board are crazy. you got USC Week 2. That's Caleb Williams, who won the Heisman Trophy. Then you got Jaden DeLore with Arizona. Then Bo Nix is back at Oregon. Uh, Dion's Sun, Shador, is now at Colorado. UCLA has probably five-star Dante Moore starting. The Huskies got Michael Penix Jr. back. Washington State has Cam Ward. Oregon State has Clemson transfer G.J. Uh Notre Dame got Wake Forest star Sam Hartman. This is just a disaster of a slate of quarterbacks here, and barring a transfer, it's a battle between Ashton Daniels and Ari Patu, uh, one of the Again, we don't have the last non-4-star recruit to start for Stanford, in my calculations, Kevin Hogan. It's been a long time. Burns was 4-star. Christ was 4-star. Costello was a 4-star. Mills was a 5-star. Tanner McKee was incredibly highly rated. This is the first time in a long time we've had a not-highly-touted recruit start at quarterback for Stanford, barring some transfer again, so... Uh, as of right now, Stanford will be the clear underdog in terms of quarterback play in almost all of these matchups. So
1: what I'm hearing is we we really like this Hawaii matchup. Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that is actually a great call out there, Jabril. I hadn't even pieced that together. That is an absolutely brutal stretch of quarterbacks. Not only are those guys some of the most talented, but those are guys that are really looking making a huge jump you know some of those guys are guys that will be trying to play on Sundays they're not just trying to win games they're trying to improve their stock and and make a couple extra million dollars you've got so many of those guys either transferring that were highly touted or just getting another year in a system that that could be absolutely a
1: brutal stretch there and so a large contrast as you pointed out Jabril to our quarterback room but there's certainly another uh, whole bunch of position groups I could point out where there's a glaring weakness. Uh, And based on your look, I don't know what your response is going to be when I ask what position group are you most worried about, if not all of them.
2: Offensive line right now. You Mm -hmm. lose both your starting tackles. Uh, Guys who could have stayed. Hinton could have stayed. Walter Rouse could have stayed. You lost both of them. You lost your starting center to Michigan. Uh, you really have only one or two starters returning there, and you lost some death pieces too on that offensive line. Uh, running back room should be good. Uh, EJ Smith coming back, Casey Philkins in the back up. EJ Smith not transferring, huge win. Mm-hmm. David Bailey on the defensive line not transferring, huge win. So with Ernest Cooper, that defensive line should take a jump up this year. They're all young. They might not be great, but they're going to be. They have pieces there that will be very good in the future linebacking group has been really bad the last two years, and they lost, like, all their production, so that's, who knows what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. They in a nice transfer there from FIU, though. Uh, secondary, top two corners are gone. You lose, uh, you lose McGill to transfer. You lose uh, uh, Patrick Fields. So, safety room, your whole secondary pretty much got blown up. Uh, you're tight end group is still there with Yorosek staying. Of course, your most important position, Tanner McKee's gone, your quarterback. Uh, You lose a lot of key pieces at wide receiver, but they should do decently. I think they'll be all right there. Uh, Just, yeah. Your offensive line's bad. Your quarterback isn't great. That's not a real recipe (laughs) for success on offense. I don't care how inventive uh, Troy Taylor's system is. And I don't care how how good the new defense is. I really like the defensive staff. and I really like the staff he was able to brought in. He brought in higher caliber people than I thought he was going to have the pull to be able to bring in. Uh, So the staff is night. This is just without without mass transfers, and it looks like we're not going to get too many despite the early momentum we thought we had. Uh, This is a multi-year rebuild here, Mm -hmm. it looks like we're in for.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And so for those of you that don't know, the NCAA portal – has two windows, the first of which is a 45-day window. That one just closed very recently on January 19th. Stanford ended up having 18 players enter the portal. One, Bradley Archer's coming back. 14 others are playing Power 5 football. We had a couple go in various other directions. One player going to play lacrosse. And then we had five players with more eligibility declaring for the NFL draft. So you had roughly 22 people choosing to leave the program, which is, I mean, absolutely crazy in this just like day and age. You would have never heard that statement five years ago, much less 10, 15, 20 years ago. A lot of rebuilding. What is one area that y'all are excited about next year?
2: I said it a few, a few seconds ago, but defensive line is definitely it. You got David Bailey, Ernest Cooper, Jackson uh, Moy showed some promising things there. This is, they've recruited really, really well there recently, uh, so I'm expecting big. I'm expecting big things in the future and a big jump up next year. But on the transfer out thing, I, I just I wouldn't overreact about. I know you're not, but don't don't be tempted to overreact and blame the current coaching staff for that. Uh, I've heard lots of things, and a lot of the transfers have to do with you wanting to play winning football. There's nothing to do with Troy Taylor. Mm-hmm. They just see the roster that we have next year and are like, we're probably not going to make a bowl. You see our schedule and stuff. Let me go to a program where I can actually like win substantial games and maybe get to play in a bowl game. Because a lot of these people haven't gone to a bowl when they've started. Uh, so it, it really has nothing to do with the new coaching staff. It has to do with the state this program was left in when a change was finally made.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And a lot of these players were coming in expecting to compete and yep. transferred to... Very competitive schools. Walter Rouse going to OU. Uh, you have Miles Hinton, who is a four-star. Lavani Dumani, also a four-star. Ryan Sanborn going to Texas, which, as I'm saying, is quite possibly my least favorite roster oh, of all time. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely. And you know, a lot of these players announced this well before we even had a new coach. They were probably out after Game 4 or 5. You even look at Arlen Harris, who was trying to get out before he even could. (laughs) Zach, over to you. You know, Jabril has taken the defensive line. What is another group that you are excited
1: about? I love the fresh faces at the top, Troy Taylor. I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. Uh, When you have a new head coach, when you just kind of have this overhaul, it's a whole new wave of inspired play. People have a whole nother reason to believe and so troy taylor i expect good things i've heard murmurs uh from the practice field you know it seems like an entirely different program and the tides are shifting uh that being said it's going to be his first year and like we've talked about, the roster kind of in shambles. Jabril, in your column, you had the over/under for wins at three point five. I estimated right around four as well. I uh, want to ask you about one: what your thoughts are on you know next season? Three and a half wins. What do you expect? As well as, is it too early to kind of evaluate Taylor based on that first year?
2: Yeah, next year shouldn't t- even if they win two games, beat Hawaii and Sacramento State and don't win anything else, uh, it's not on Taylor because mm-hmm. you're gonna you have. Key, I know there's some talent on the roster and the talent Composite is going to be fairly high The issue is the talent composite has been High and with experience all throughout the roster The last few years that's why it was fair to use that Against <laughs> uh, the previous coaching staff uh, Now it's talent Concentrated mm-hmm. talent, talent plus Experience who are ready to compete at this level are Concentrated in certain position groups the rest Is really a mess and you see this I, I said three and a half wins I see like five very winnable games mm-hmm. on, this, on the schedule at Hawaii Sac State home against Arizona at Colorado and home against Cal. They can at four of those. If they get four wins, that's improvement. I will be quite happy with the season. If we get four wins, a strong recruiting class, and admin, I wrote this in the article, admin shows signs that they're mm-hmm. going to be willing to accept more transfers.
1: 100%. An exciting time for Stanford football and the Stanford Athletics fan base as a whole. So, Jabril, thank you so much for joining us today on the Sports Zoo. Jacob, why don't you take us away? Yeah, a huge
0: thanks to Jabril and everyone else. This will be the first installment of what should be a very exciting quarter here in the studio. My name is Jacob Neidig. I was joined by my co-host Zach Zaffron and special guest Jabril Taha. Once again you were listening to KZSU 90.1 The Sports Zoo. As always give us a listen online. Support your local sports teams. Wear red. Stay late and be loud.